Hello and welcome to the latest Beaver podcast. Today we're lucky to have with us regular Hugh Griffiths, Junior Vice President of the Association and Equine Reproduction Services, James Crabtree, who's also a council member and, as many of you will know, pre-expert on all matters reproduction. Um, first of all, we're going to start with parish news. Starting with the news that the BSAVA have combined with Beaver to make a total donation between both parties of £7,000 to support vets working in the face of the Australian wildfires. Um, hideous situation out there. And if you go to the Beaver website, you'll be able to read a first-hand experience of Holly Lewis from the uh, Equine Veterinarians Australia and her experiences of, of what she's faced with wildfires out there, which makes pretty um, sobering reading. Uh, in other, other news, the RCEBS have been busy over the last few days. They've launched their five-year strategic plan, or it's been approved by council. Um, They've also confirmed that the, or given official ed- accreditation to the University of Surrey veterinary degree. So that's good news for um, all Surrey graduates. Um, and they've launched a new CPD recording platform, OneCPD, which is also available as an app. Um, that does a number of things, but one of the quite cool things that it has is a, is a QR code reader. So all CPD that you attend, or certainly all Beaver CPD that you attend, will be accompanied by a QR code. If you scan that QR code into the app, then uh, it will pre-populate all the details of the course you've attended into your CPD record, which will help a little bit in terms of recording. Um, closer to home, uh, EVJ uh, has published, on behalf of Beaver, primary clinical care guidelines. Um, and they are produced by a panel combining clinicians and analgesia researchers. And it's the first to be published and summarizes the current underpinning evidence um, and combines it with expert opinion on the impacts and outcomes of ad- and adverse effects. Hopefully, that will provide some be- best practice recommendations on the use of analgesics for common scenarios. And that's uh, something that we will be continuing to produce in different areas on a year-by-year basis, hopefully make very worthwhile reading. And on to the main topic of today, which is uh, movement of semen, importation of semen, and uh, and the necessary certification. James and Hugh, you both have been involved in these discussions, but starting with Hugh, have you had what's your experience been in the past about certification coming along with imported fresh semen? I think we've struggled for many years to get this to work properly, and it's cause, it certainly causes our membership a huge amount of anxiety. Um, there's a, a variability with regard to what you're going to get, depending on where it's coming from primarily, um, and also maybe via depending on who the importer is as well. So um, I th- as you know, David, you've been integral in the, in the lobbying for improvements here, and I think that's been hugely necessary. Um, to try and reduce that variability and, and get some form of clarity on what is and isn't acceptable to then take the pressure off our vets to stop them worrying that they're doing something wrong. Absolutely. And and James, it, it, we sort of have heard stories in the past pretty regularly of, of vets receiving imported semen without any sort of certification and in some cases getting quite a lot of pressure from the importer or the agent to implant semen without any certification is that is that your experience as well yes it is i mean it, it goes without saying that many cases 
do go quite well, but it, you only need the one to cause you a problem. And um, so it's importation from EU countries or the rest of the world. But of course, chilled semen, we're really th- thinking about getting it from the EU, including Southern Ireland and being the owner being told on the end of the phone, don't worry about it. You don't need health papers. Just tell the vet to put it in. And either myself or my colleagues or members of the association then going, well, hang on a minute. I was led to believe it had to be the original um, signed document that came with the shipment. Um, and then when DEFRA have been asked for clarification in the past, it's been sort of fairly absolute that it must be the original documentation only, not photocopies and not something arriving via email. Absolutely. And I think that's where Beaver became involved, really, in that we we knew there was the problem going on and we felt that uh, members needed support and therefore our first approach was really day to get clarification which uh, as you said there James is was fairly black and white and then B to go to the agents and importers and, and say it is unacceptable to um, put pressure on 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 vets to to break the law. Well and also David it's probably important to say isn't it that vets were then seen as the policemen of the system which as we know never goes down well with clients importers and just generally trying to do business in a real world. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think on the back of that and, and having had some pretty open discussions with the agents, we we decided that we wanted to find a pragmatic solution that would deal with the issue of timing of getting certification to a company fresh chilled semen coming in from the EU. Um, and we, we went around the houses a bit, didn't we, Hugh? Yeah, we did, David. And I think what we did was having raised the issues that our membership were facing at venues such as the AI Discussion Forum and at Beaver Congress, we then proceeded to lobby government. And um, and yourself, David, are probably the best place to to give us a rundown of, of the chronology of what you were doing. Absolutely. And it was quite a good lesson in in perseverance. I did feel like that spider consistently climbing up its, its web. Um, in that I think it was two years worth of emailing on a fortnightly basis to nag at um, civil servants. Part in the first instance, it was trying to find the right people to deal with it. In the second instance, it was trying to get some action. Then we had all the Brexit excitement going on. Um, but more last year, we eventually felt we had got some headway. It did get up to ministerial level, um, which seems bonkers. But there was a new interpretation, which... Um, indicated that a copy of the certificate would be acceptable. But then it rapidly became obvious throughout last breeding season that that didn't answer necessarily all the questions. So uh, it's only in the last few days, and again, once we got up to threatening ministerial rampaging, that uh, we got got some proper action. And they've come back with some some hopefully really useful and pretty comprehensive updated guidance james what do you what do you think of well what perhaps you could explain the the new guidance yes so they've looked at the legislation and and looked how they would interpret and how they would do it in practice and and i think the the interesting aspect is that they've acknowledged to for us to sort of facilitate this trade in in chilled semen fresh cooled semen um we have to understand that there is limited time available and and they have accepted that that it's just not practical for members of our colleagues on the continent shipping seamen to us to be able to achieve what we're asking of them 
in providing the paperwork to us. So renewing uh, or reviewing the trade in animal-related products, a TARP legislation, that was the legislation that required the original hard copy of the signed intra-trade animal health certificate, this ITAH C certificate to accompany the product to its destination is just not practical. So in order to move forward, they have suggested that you can have the original OV approved import certificate, this intra uh, trade animal health certificate. I'll just call that the import certificate. Um, so you can have that, which is great. You can have a photocopy of that that comes with it. That will give you the information that you need to be able to get the mare inseminated. Or you can have um, an OV-approved import certificate downloaded downloaded by the importer from the traces system, um, including that original watermark that's written across the screen. Um, that will suffice as well. But of course, then you have to pair up the, the, the sample with that document and make sure that you're happy with it. Or... The final point is you can you can have an electronic email copy of any of the above. So that's giving us a great deal of options to be able to get hold of certification. It feels to me like that's really good, but um, and a, and a major step forward. But it does mean or clarify, Hugh, that that we as vets need to make sure in all cases, irrespective of anything else, that we do. We have seen a copy or the original um, of those health certificates before we before we inseminate. That's right, isn't it? Yes, David. And I think this is a really essential point. Um, nothing has changed with the necessity for us to see the documentation, irrespective of how it comes to us, and that's essential for our biosecurity in the UK. We are um, in a privileged position with regard to our disease status, and, and nothing has changed with the intra-trade agreement that we must see an agreement, agreed document that has the correct health testing with the correct negative results being in date and signed and stamped. So in that regard, nothing has changed. This document still has to be together and correct. Yeah, and the other thing I think bothered bothered members was the, um, was the guidance that if they had accepted a copy under the previous clarification, there was a responsibility to ensure that they also received at a later date the original certificate um, but I think we've got some clarification on that as well haven't we James? Yes yeah I mean that won't change that the, the law um, dictates if you like or states that you have to have the original health certificate that was certified by the the original OV but they have clarified that 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 is a document that will need to be acquired by the importer um, so what a lot of our members might not realize is who is actually the importer. More often than not, either the seaman agent acts as the importer um, or the mare owner acts as the importer. And the importer is stated, the name is written in the um, second box down on the left on the, um, on the international trade um, animal health certificate. Uh, and that states who the importer in that relationship is. And it's that person that will have to acquire the hard copy um, within really 10 days after the import to be uh, to comply with the law. So effectively, yeah, vets should be, unless the vet wants that responsibility, he or she should be being clear with the owner and the agent, if they're dealing directly with the agent, that 
the agent or the owner must be the import must be the named importer um and the vet will do their their bit uh but the importer or the importer i the agent or the owner should take responsibility yes exactly and then they have the responsibility for checking the post and making sure that they do receive the the original and then they keep hold of that or a file, number, large number of files of them in the case of some of these large importers. It's their responsibility to keep hold of that, to, to keep them for the required amount of time. And then if DEFRA have any queries um, and want to investigate and look back, it'll be the importer that they go to to ask for the original health certificate. Absolutely. So, I mean, that sounds like a major step forward, but are there, Hugh, are there pitfalls there? Yes, as James said, um, there's no, there won't be any if we know exactly who the importer is. And I think the important thing here is, is absolute clarity with regard to who is, whose name is in that um, box where it asks for the importer's details. And if we, if indeed we find that the importer is one of our clients and they're not an MRCVS, then it is our job to to help them to the best of our ability to to understand their responsibilities as the importer. So whilst um, whilst the Buck won't stop with us. It's still on our shoulders to try and do best practice and to to help give them all the information they need so that they can get it right. Absolutely. Although if we're not the named importer, that won't be our problem, will it? You're right, David. It won't. Yeah, no, good point. James, can you see any any pitfalls still outstanding? Yeah, I think so. I think our members just need to be aware of who actually is the importer in the relationship Um, and it's easy to confuse the person that's organizing this shipment the agent as being the importer they aren't always it just depends on whose name appears in the importer box and and that to some extent is a a click of a button when somebody's formatting the certificate at the original um the the origin of the sample so i think it's it should be clear for vets when they are looking at these copies of health papers just to check because if if their name or their practice name or their stud that they look after finds themselves in the import named importer box then the responsibility will definitely be on them absolutely absolutely so so to my mind it it looks great but we need to just still keep our eye out and, and make sure we're we're doing the right thing and just to clarify um as i understand it the difference now is that you know we still have to check that the um that the consignment reflects the um the paperwork that we've seen but the paperwork that we've seen can either be an original or a copy or either a hard copy or an electronic copy or a downloaded copy but we just need to see a copy and make sure it can corresponds with the consignment and then if we're not the named um, importer we don't need to be concerned about receiving the original copy at a later date accepting Hugh's point that we are all are all part of the team is that is that how you understand it Hugh yes exactly David the correct information must still be present but we have several workable modalities as how to we can now receive this information which is a great step forward great and James do you agree do you think it's summarized all right there yeah I think it's summarized very well I, I think just sometimes we there's maybe one little thing to note is that um, the Netherlands have gone totally digital now 
so they've, they've they've moved forward into the digital age and so you won't see if the if the the import originates from the netherlands you won't see your colleague's signature on the documentation you will see their name written in the um, vet's signature box because they that that is their digital system now but that doesn't apply for other countries in the eu it only applies as far as we were at this time to the netherlands great yeah, yeah very good point Thanks, James. And I suppose the other thing worthy of noting is that Beaver will be writing to the to the shipping agents and making them aware of what guidance we're giving to our members. So um, hopefully they will be conscious that, uh, particularly in relation to the named importer and the requirements to receive the original documentation. I think this is a huge move forward, and um, it's also a good example of how lobbying of government by informed professional parties can result in a fantastic outcome. Great. Well, thanks, James. Thanks, Hugh, very much. Uh, James has agreed to stay on and tell us a little bit uh, more about his pathway to where he is now. Hugh, we'll see you again next time. Thanks very much. Thanks, David. Thanks, James. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. So, James, thanks for staying on. Um, keen to know a little bit about how you got to where you are. So when did you first think, actually, you know what, I want to be a vet? Well, I'm a farmer's son, so I grew up on a farm. And we actually had um, a lot of vets would visit, vet students would visit the farm because we had quite a lot of sheep. So we had beef cattle and there were about two and a two and a half thousand breeding sheep. So we were inundated with vet students at lambing time. And I suppose at one point I realized I could do that. Brilliant. And horses involved in your life as a youngster at all? Yeah, I rode. I did all of the pony club things. I show jumped. I evented. I don't have a great deal of time to be able to do it now, but I did enjoy horses. And, um, you know, pony club was very girl orientated then as well. So there was only a, a few <laughs> of us lads in pony club, but it, there still was some. So, no, it was good. And I, and, I, and I did sort of, you know, beef, sheep, horses, you know, sort of livestock was my life. So... It, yeah. it sort of seemed a logical move. And was it a, 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 did you envisage yourself as being the the mixed practitioner or did you always have a particular angle? Yeah, I think I probably did. I think it was the whole sort of James Herriot, that, that's who I will be, you know, that mixed yeah. practitioner, large animals and horses, but looking after, you know, farm dogs, cats and just, you know, what I, what I didn't realize was that how into the community that you did get in, you know, you become in, involved in everybody's lives and things. And I suppose that's what James Herriot's books were really actually telling us about that, you know, you become yeah. a valued member of the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you headed off to vet school. Where did you go? I ended up in Edinburgh. So obviously the best vet school. So uh, that, <laughs> that was excellent. North of the border, the English capital of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and and a wild time is there much you can remember of it or were you very I, studious no well, no i was a bit of both i think i, I did i try work hard and play hard that's that's the motto isn't it <laughs> absolutely so nothing you want to you want to remember here publicly um well there's, there's so many things it was just a hoop from beginning to end you know played a lot of yeah. sport um you know we had lots of of interesting nightlife you had all of the avs the the, the social things that went on around vet school. And even though they were in a big university, like the University of Edinburgh, the vet school, 
very much sort of stuck together. There were those um, inter vet school uh, sports days and things like that. I mean, it was like I say, it was just a hoop from beginning to end, and I've got a lot of fond memories and yeah, and a lot of good friends for life out of it as well. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So when you came to the end of that time and had to face the big wide world, where did you where did you head, and what, and was it what you were aiming for? Well, my yeah, I. I I wanted to be, I sort of envisaged myself as this mixed practitioner doing farm animals and horses. Um, and I actually ended up in the first job I applied for, which is quite useful, actually. You were asking about stories. Um, yeah. my, my final year classmates abandoned me in, uh, in Gran Canaria. I got, I got a, um, a bout of food poisoning, which everybody knows me will know that that's a bit of a recurring theme. Um, but I did get about it. Ended up hospitalised in some uh, Gran Canaria somewhere like that, uh, and missed the interview. But um, yeah, my mum had to ring the practice and say James is coming to your interview, but he's just going to be a few days late. <laughs> that practice never let me forget that that his mum rang up for him for the interview. <laughs> Brilliant. So mixed, um, so mixed practice in Yorkshire. Yeah, doing horses, yeah. cats, dogs, sheep, goats, cattle the works so that was genuinely the james herriot type scenario wasn't it it was yeah and i was in his we actually had some clients that were james herriot's clients uh, not obviously the fictional character but the real character yeah. he was based on yeah. so yeah, yeah i was right in amongst it inadvertently brilliant and then uh, how long were you there for so i actually did four years which at the time was quite long for a new graduate to spend in one practice but i i, I you know i set to it with a an aim that i wanted to develop myself and um i did quite a lot of reproduction and obstetrics because of sort of food animal production is all based around food you know a lot of obstetrics and reproduction so i did you know pig reproduction cattle reproduction a lot of sheep reproduction and a lot of obstetrics but i i realized i suppose in those first few years that really um to unleash all of the capabilities that our training gave us that for me horses and potentially horse reproduction was the way forward so so how did you how did you go about moving that bit of your career on then so it's you know my cpd was moved towards that i sort of encouraged our clients that wanted to breed to breed and then i realized if i really wanted to do this i wanted to go to somewhere like the southern hemisphere to to get a little bit more experience and also use our qualification to uh, travel the world and see a little bit of the world as well and so I ended up in Australia um, I, I advertised I, I looked on all of the you know the locum agencies and I looked for jobs and I spoke to people and that's when actually Jonathan Pycock and we, I crossed for the very first time I actually rang him up for some guidance um, and then a little little Less than a year later, I ended up working for Jonathan during the Northern Hemisphere breeding seasons. And then I shuttled for seven years uh, between the Northern and Southern Hemisphere in some brilliant practices from um, rural-based practices, just looking after studs in, the, uh, in Australia to hospitals in New Zealand. And yeah, um, really, really enjoyed myself and, and, and everything that that brought. Brilliant. So we did you feel heading down down under slightly wet behind the ears with regard to the big stud work? Was it a bit of a scary prospect? 
It was, it was actually, and it was about trying to choose the right job that I wasn't going to take on too much. Yeah, I think you have to be humble. Uh, when it comes to the world of reproduction, it's actually quite a very small world. Um, yeah. You know, we know a lot of these guys in the Southern Hemisphere and the studs names, um, you know, in certain areas, there's a concentration of studs. So yeah, it was a bit daunting, but I suppose it was about trying to find the right practice. And I was very fortunate throughout all of that time, I worked for practices. So I was, I had the support of colleagues and I could learn off colleagues and I could do a wide range of things. Not, I wasn't just being a, you know, a, a paid, uh, a hired gynecologist for a stud. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything yeah. wrong with that. That can be great and very rewarding as well. But it, for me, it was great to have the support of those veterinary practices and the teachings of those people that were in them as well. It was just fabulous. Brilliant. And you say so you shuttled for seven years, which must have been pretty exhausting, wasn't it? It was by the end of it. I was, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think I probably am one of those people that suffers from that seasonal affective disorder. I do like the sunshine. And so living the perpetual summer for seven years was, was, was quite nice. Um, but yeah, there comes a time where you want to, to settle down. And, and for me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Yorkshire lad and my roots are here. My family's here. And so ultimately there was no decision to be made. I needed to stay behind and, and lay down some roots. And, and that's what we've done. So and you and, and that was working with Jonathan Pycock or or how did that how did yeah that that, that, that sort of relationship continued um, I can't remember the time scales there's, there's there's other things I've replaced that information with something else but it, yeah a few more years went by where I was hundred percent of the time in 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 the practice and that of course anybody that knew our setup that you know Jonathan ran solo over the winter and uh, looked after everything while we were away gallivanting off around the world. And when we came back, we would get into it again. So it then became my role to stay behind during the winter and develop the practice to a point where it could start supporting others because there's only so many vets at a practice that winds down for the winter can support. So we set two and then we were joined by um, Jonathan, one of Jonathan's previous employees, Charlie Cook, and then another one of Jonathan's previous employees, Kaylee Barker and, and we've joined by Rory Gormley and, 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 and some other team members now, Tim Lee. And so, yeah, we've got a, a great team um, and, and, and a lot of certificate holders, advanced practitioners, Yolanda uh, Serrano Romero is with us now as well. So, yeah, it's a great team, but it, it now supports a, a fully functional uh, equine practice throughout the year with a big bias in reproduction. And so, yeah, I suppose the, the dreams come true. Brilliant. And would you have done anything differently? No, no, I don't think so. Um, it, opportunities come up. I, I took as many as I dared to, um, and you know, always tried to give them all my hundred percent effort. And you know, the the veterinary profession is a great place to be, um, and the people in it are great people. You know, I put effort in. I was greatly rewarded, and um, yeah, I've got some very fond memories about it thus far. So no, wouldn't change a thing. Brilliant. Probably the perfect place to stop. James, thank you very much. Great to hear. Thank you.